Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 20. Without a doubt, probably one of the most important, one of the most heartfelt, one of the most visible friendships that is recorded in all the Bible would be the friendship between Jonathan and David. The close relationship they had, even though there was about a 20 years difference between Jonathan and David, this was still such a close, intimate friendship and fellowship that they had. And we can learn quite a bit about friendship and fellowship studying this, but we're also seeing the heart of Saul during this whole time. And so thankful that Jonathan, Jonathan was in a difficult position. Do you side with dad or do you side with your best friend? Is you going to join your dad's side or are you going to betray your dad and help your best friend? What an awful position Jonathan was placed in. That he wanted to do what was right. And he wanted to be right with his dad. He wanted to be right with, with David. And we could see the awful position that he was placed in. And let's pick it up in verse Samuel, first num- uh, first Samuel chapter number 20. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 20. And notice with me in verse 1. And David fled, fled from Naoth in Ramah. And came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father, that he seeketh my life? And he, that's Jonathan, said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that which he will show it to me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. And David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not fail to, and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at even. If thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he thus say, It is well, thy servant shall have thy peace. But if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant. For thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee. Notwithstanding, if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself. For why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from thee, for If I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon thee, then would I not tell it thee? Then said David to Jonathan, Who shall tell me, or what if thy father answer thee roughly? 
And Jonathan said unto David, Come and let us go out to the field. And they went out, both of them, into the field. And Jonathan said to David, O Lord God of Israel, when I sound at my father about tomorrow any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then sin not unto thee, and show it thee, and the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, then I will show it to thee and send thee away that thou mayest go in peace. And the Lord be with thee as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only a little, only while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. But also thou shalt not cut off my kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one of them from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon, and thou shalt be missed. Because thy seat will be empty. And when thou hast stayed three days, then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place where thou did hide thyself, when the business was in at hand, and thou shalt remain by the stone Ezeal. And I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof, as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I sent a little lad, saying, Go and find the arrows. If I expressly say unto the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them. Then come thou, for there is peace to thee, and no hurt, as the Lord liveth. But if I say thus unto the young man, Behold, the arrows are beyond thee. Go thy way, for the Lord hath sent thee away. And as touching the manner which thou and I have spoken of, Behold, the Lord is between thee and me forever. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king sat down to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat, as other times even upon the seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spoke not anything that day, for he thought, Something hath befallen him. He is not clean. Surely he is not clean. And it came to pass on the morrow, which is the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan his son, Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet? Neither yesterday nor today. And Jonathan answered Saul, David had earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, Let me go and pray, I pray thee, for our family hath sacrifice in the city. And my brother, he hath commanded me to be there. And now, if I find favor in thine eyes, let me go away, I pray thee, to see my brother. Therefore he cometh not to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto them, Thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat for the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. 
And it come to pass in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David and a little lad with him. And he said unto his lad, Run, and find now the arrows which I shoot. And as the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the lad was come to the place where the arrow Jonathan had shot, Jonathan cried after the lad, Is it not the arrow beyond thee? And Jonathan cried after the lad, Make speed, haste, stay not. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the lad knew not of anything. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his artillery unto the lad and said unto him, Go carry these unto the city. And as soon as the lad was gone, Jonathan or David arose out of the place towards the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept one another until David exceeded. And Jonathan said unto David, Go in peace, for as much as we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord be between me and thee, and between thy seed and thy seed forever. And he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, we could see the names put together all throughout here. But there's one place where they're together conveniently for us. Notice with me in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and notice with me verse 39. Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David. And with the Lord's help, we're going to explore the friendship here of Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David. Let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And thank you for you not even just being a wonderful God, but that you're a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Lord, we thank you for earthly friends that you allow us to put in our path. And help us to glean and to learn from the life of Jonathan and David and in the midst of this hardship and this trial here. And that you would teach us to be friendly. That you could allow us to have friends in our own life. Lord, we love you. Give me grace beyond measure right now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. That you get accomplished tonight exactly what you want to get accomplished. And we're trusting you for it to do a good work. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We could see this relationship of Jonathan and David, one of the most heart-filled friendships found in almost all ancient history, but especially in the Bible, this great friendship between David and Jonathan. An almost unlikely friendship because we know that these two houses are at war. That Jonathan's house, King Saul, is at war with David's house. And we know that in history, David is going to replace Jonathan. Can you imagine such a friendship and a kingly idea that Jonathan knows he's not going to become king. David's going to become king. But there's no jealousy. There's no envy. There's no idea that, that why does good things happen to him? He loved David even though David was going to take the things that was rightfully his by inheritance. What a great friendship that has no envy. What a great friendship that has no jealousy. What a great friendship that doesn't get mad when something good happens to someone else. That's the idea of a true friendship. A friendship where you could be happy for someone else. Even if you're hurting your own self. If you don't mind, let's look at this story here. 
and then see some of the things of what the Bible says. The first thing I want to show you is the heartfelt promise. The heartfelt promise. <clears throat> now we had seen before in the previous chapter that Saul wanted to kill David. That remember that twice before uh, Saul had tried to take a javelin to kill David. We saw in the previous chapter that Saul grabbed his generals, grabbed Jonathan and said, All right, let's kill David. And Jonathan talked him out of it. Then we could see that David's got his position back. He's playing. And Saul tries to kill David again with a javelin. He goes back home to his wife. His wife, who is Saul's daughter, says, Hey, dad's going to kill you. You need to get out of here. You can't stay here. And so she did the old stuff the mattress trick. And she put pillows and straw underneath the blankets and made it look like David was sleeping and said, David, you got to get out of here. And so when the, the soldiers came and the people were outside watching and they said, where do you want David? And she said, David's sick. They reported back to Saul and Saul said, bring him on his bed. I don't care. And they go and rip the mattresses off and Saul yells at his own daughter, how dare you do this? And we could see that over and over that Saul has tried to kill David. Well, David comes back after things have calmed down just a tad bit. And he goes, pulls Jonathan aside and says, hey, your dad really wants to kill me. Now, Jonathan may have been out of touch or will give him the benefit of the doubt that he doesn't know the things that Saul is trying to kill him. And Jonathan says, no, 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 no. If my dad wanted to kill you, he'd tell me. He tells me everything. We have just a good father-son relationship. He would tell me if he wants to kill you. David says, no, he really wants to kill me. Jonathan, oh, I don't think dad wants to kill you, but let's, let's not gamble with it. Let's put it to the test. So they come up with an idea here that Jonathan is going to show up at the new moon. Now, the, um, the Hebrew calendar goes off of a lunar calendar, not a solar calendar. So the new moon would be the first day of the month. And because it was a lunar calendar, they would have a special feast day, a special holiday, a special gathering together day during the days of the new moon. And so <coughs> because it was uh, a normal celebration, um, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> David would be expected to be there because he had a position within the table of Saul. And so Jonathan and David came up with a plan that David would not show up. And that if Saul happened to say anything, that Jonathan would say, well, David wanted to go back home and he asked me permission if I could go back home. And if Saul says nothing, then we know that Saul doesn't want to kill him. But if he gets mad, then that's going to be an issue. And then they come up with a, a system of letting David know that it's too dangerous if if they can't meet, and so that way uh, no one would know that Jonathan was meeting with, with uh, David. So they come up with this promise, and in fact, they take time to pray together. You know that something amazing about true friends is that they're able to pray together. When's the last time you prayed with your friend? When's the last time you went to the throne room of God, they had something on their heart, and you went and you prayed with them. You know, there's something amazing to have a friend that you can pray with because there's a lot of people you can't pray with. Do you feel comfortable and say, can we pray together? 
You know, when you pray with someone, that's when you know their heart. There's some things that you can't tell a friend, but you could tell God and your friend could listen in and you could hear the heart of them. That's why we even say with a husband and wife that a family that prays together stays together because there's a bond that's there. And may I also give you this hint that if you ever start to get sideways with a friend, meaning that you start to feel contention and, and friction, pray with them. It will do wonders for your own heart. It's a lot better than blowing up at them. To say, let's pray together. Let's talk to God together. You know, the more that you could get a prayer partner friend, the better off you're going to both going to be when you can go to God together. And they go to God together and they make this promise. And Jonathan talks to God on behalf of him and David. And they make a covenant before God and say, God, you got to protect David. And they make this heartfelt promise here as they talk to God. So now they got the plan set. They've got the, the checks and balances. They're going to go test Saul. And they know what they're going to do afterwards and get the signals going on. So we come, starting with the heartfelt promise. Now we come to the hardened heart. The hardened heart. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 24. So David hid himself in the field. And when the new moon was come, the king sat down to eat meat. And the king sat down on a seat as other times, even upon a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner, who is Saul's general, sat at Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spake not of anything that day, for he thought that something had befallen him, and he is not clean, and surely he is not clean. Now we can see here that Saul is thinking in his mind. David is always faithful. He's always in his place. The only reason why he wouldn't come to a meal is if he wasn't clean. There's a way of, uh, for the Hebrew people to ceremonial wash themselves. And before they could go to a festival, they had to be ceremonial clean. And there's a certain timing for all of this. So he's saying David's probably not here. Probably sick. Probably something. Uh, maybe he's got a cold and nobody wants to touch him. Uh, he's got the plague. Coughing up a storm. But then the second day comes. Verse 27. And it came to pass on the morrow. Which is on the second day of the month. That David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan his son. Wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet. Neither yesterday nor today. So Saul looks at Jonathan and says. Where's David at? Jonathan gives him the story that. David asked to go to Bethlehem and he said that his brother demanded and he's got an older brother. He's got to obey the older brother. He's got to come back home. And next thing you know, Saul is getting mad. He is upset. Verse number 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan and he said unto him and he goes on and because of the poetical language of uh, the authorized version as it's brought into and to English, let me tell you, he is cursing. He is swearing. He's using very colorful language towards his own son, Jonathan. And he is yelling at him. He's saying, don't you understand what you did? You're stupid. And yells at him. And he says, you go get him. As long as he's alive, you will never rule the, th the throne. You will never inherit the kingdom. You go get him and we will kill him now. Jonathan asked his uh, Saul, his father, and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What have he done? He just asked a question. Why do you want to kill David? Saul's answer was, let's kill Jonathan. 
He got mad, took his javelin and threw it at him. That was his answer. And Jonathan knew, don't you think he'd probably know by this time, that Saul wanted to kill David. And there was no talking him out of it because there was no reason, there was no explanation, there was no logic to it. He is just passion and very much embroiled. We're going to kill David. So we could see this, that he wanted to kill him. Which brings us to a third thing here, the heartbreaking warning. The heartbreaking warning. So Jonathan goes out to the field, grabs a little lad who doesn't know what's going on. He just knows that Jonathan wants to go target practice. And back then, that's the, the blessing of having rank. You get someone to go get your arrows for you. You don't have to go run out to the field. So he takes some arrows, shoots them. The little lad starts running. He fires some more arrows. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And the little lad gets him. David knows that's the signal. The little lad takes the arrows, runs back to the city. And David comes out and says his tearful goodbye to his good friend. Isn't Jonathan a good friend that he warned David? <laughs> Knowing that David is going to take the kingdom, he still didn't want David to die. Notice, if you don't mind, in verse number 41. And as soon as the lad was gone, David arose out of the place towards the south and fell on his face to the ground and bowed himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another and David exceeding. Now, don't let verse number 41 frighten you. We understand that, first of all, this is an eastern book and not a western book. We also know that this is 3,000 years ago and they do things a little bit different. For example, if you went to France today, that people would get, greet each other with a kiss. In the New Testament day, the Apostle Paul said that, that you greet one another in church with a holy kiss. We don't practice that here in America today. A lot of people are uncomfortable. You probably don't want to come up and let me kiss you on the cheek right now either, uh, probably because of my sickness. But, but that's just not how we do things in our culture today. But back then, that was normal and acceptable practice to kiss each other on the cheek. Especially in an idea that you're saying a tearful goodbye. And they would hug each other and, and weep and they're crying. And almost looks like a bunch of ladies in the airport, you know, getting ready to go. They're just weeping and carrying on. And, and by the way, men, there's nothing wrong with showing emotion even to your friend here. But they're crying and they're weeping and they understand that this is probably going to be the last time they're going to see each other. And it is. And David runs one way. And Jonathan goes back. And that's how it is. But we see this friendship here. This friendship of David and Jonathan. Which now brings us to the idea here. And where we're going to spend the rest of it as an application. What about having friends? Having friends. I think every single one of us desire and crave to have a close friend like this. Does the Bible say anything about having close friends? Are we doomed to mope by ourselves all the rest of our life? Well, notice what the Bible says, if you don't mind, in the book of Proverbs chapter 18. The book of Proverbs chapter 18. And let's see what the Bible says concerning this idea of having friends <coughs> Proverbs 18, and notice with me in verse number 24. Proverbs 18 and verse 24. It says, a man that hath friends must, notice that word must, show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. 
This is a two-phrase verse here. The first phrase, let's tackle this. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Here we see here one of the ingredients of having friends is to show yourself friendly, to spend time with them. That if you are going to have friends, you need to be a friendly type of person. What do we mean by that? Uh, does that mean that you're just show up? You know, someone could show up inside of a crowd and still be very lonely. What does it mean to have friends, to show yourself friendly? Well, you have to be a type of person that people want to talk to. Let me give an example. We all know people that have the metaphoric uh, rain cloud following their heads. That no matter what happens, they go to a place and it follows them. It almost darkens a room that they step inside and you can almost feel the pressure of the room change. There's just something about them. It's their, they may not say anything at all, but it's their body language, their posture, their countenance. That they could step in and it's like warning signs. Be careful. Stay away from me. Watch out. And they don't say anything at all. But their countenance, that rain cloud comes in. Who wants to go voluntarily go spend time with them? Nobody does. You may do it for ministry work. But ministry work's not the same as being a close friend that's reciprocal. Does that make sense? That if you are going to be someone that is going to have friends, you must show yourself friendly. Now, the goal is to get yourself to a place where you have a close friendship. You could tell them anything. But most people on the surface don't want to hear about how woe is you and your problems. You, that's what a close friendship will do. The idea that the Bible gives over and over, that instead of looking at ourselves... We need to look and find out how we could be a blessing to others. It's not about you. Be a blessing to others. And as you're a blessing to others, something wondrous and marvelous happens. God helps you in your problems. So you say, how do I solve my problems? Help someone else out. You be a blessing. You help them with the things that are going on. Find a way that when you go into a room, it's not about everyone look at me and how miserable I am. Don't everyone notice me? See how bad I am? Find a way that you could be a blessing to others. Sincerely. Not as a fake thing. Not as a, oh, how's your day? Because you want them to ask you how your day is. So how are things going with you? I don't care. Ask me. Okay, good. Let me tell you about how horrible it is. Find a way. You must show yourself friendly. You have to be a type of person that people want to spend time with you. About. Put it this way. We all have people we love we don't want to go on vacation with. <laughs> you don't want to be stuck in a car with them for five hours. Because... <laughs> You'll be looking for a way to escape. Be the type of person that people don't mind to spend five hours with you. Because you're an encouragement to them. Or you're an, they find you encouraging. We need to be encouragers. Now, I, I'm not downplaying. We all have issues. We all have problems. We all have broken hearts. There are things going on. We understand that. And you're looking for that close friend. 
But the close friend doesn't happen overnight. To start it off, you have to first show yourself friendly. If we go back using the illustration of Jonathan and David. David just killed Goliath. Who was the first person to come up and thank uh, David invested him? It was Jonathan. He reached out his hand. David was still new to this. He wasn't uh, famous within the palace yet. It was Jonathan, the king's son, who welcomed David and helped him out. You might think back in the New Testament. Another New Testament friend would be Paul and Barnabas. How did their friendship arrive? Well, Saul, that was still his name there, the persecutor of churches that got saved, spent three years in discipleship and figured, hey, I'd want to go to Jerusalem and go visit the other Christians. I want to go see Peter and whatnot. So Paul steps into church. Actually, his name's still Saul. And when he comes into church, it's almost like he steps in the door. Everyone at once turns around and stares at him. Nothing like feeling welcomed. And it's not a good thing because you watch people, they're ready to run. This is the guy who, who went and dragged people out of their houses. And now he found the church and he's walking into church. People are like, don't know if they're going to run, they're going to fly. And nobody would talk to him. It's almost like he sat down in a seat and everyone around him went to go find another seat. And you know what Barnabas did? Barnabas, who was also known as the son of consolation, the encourager, he went and grabbed Paul, sat next to him, and then he brought Paul up to Peter and said, let me tell you, this is Paul. He got saved. And he walked him down the aisle, introduced him to Peter, introduced him to James, introduced him to the rest of them. Otherwise, Saul would have always been isolated from the Jerusalem church. Who was it that broke the ice? It was the encourager. It was the one who set up a friendship. And after that, Barnabas and Saul set a close friendship together. They even went to go pastor the church of Antioch together. Saul, uh, Barnabas got to the place where he was pastoring the church of Antioch and realized, hey, this is bigger than me. I'm going to go get Saul. And Saul pastored the church. And Barnabas stepped down to allow him to pastor the church. And then later on, they went to the first missionary journey together and traveled and started churches together. Where did that start off with? He that hath friends must show himself friendly. Barnabas went to Paul when no one else wanted to touch him. And he was an encouragement to him. He invested in him. Where did the friendship of Jonathan and David start off with? Jonathan went to David, loved on him, invested in him, helped him up. And as as David was lifted up, it helped Jonathan. As Barnabas went to, to Saul and lifted him up, it lifted Barnabas up. Without Saul, there would be no Barnabas in the first missionary journey. We see this principle here that he that hath friends must show himself friendly. Meaning you've got to be a type of person where you go out and you try to be a help and encouragement to someone else. Put your problems aside, help someone else, and you'll be lifted up from your problems. But you have to start off with this principle. You must show yourself friendly. We know that the two ingredients for any lasting friendship is these two. Time and trust. 
Time and trust. We all had high school friends that we thought we would be friends with them forever. And then all these years later, you're like, I can't even remember their names. What happened? Well, you failed to spend time with them and you grew apart. The ingredient for any kind of friendship is that you must spend time with them. There must be time. But the other ingredient is trust. Can they trust you with information and can you trust them? It's a two-way street. Wasn't David putting his life in Jonathan's hands in this story? Jonathan could have easily just said, hey, Saul, let me tell you where David's at. He could have easily betrayed him. But David trusted him and Saul trusted David. David could have said, ah, I'm not going to wait for Jonathan. And it could have took off. He could have just left and said, you know what, I'm going to look for myself. And left Jonathan hanging. That the relationship between a friendship has twofold. Trust and time. Now we looked at the first part of this verse in Proverbs 18. Notice the second part. Notice that this is not a period. These two phrases go together. Notice this. He that hath friends must show himself friendly and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You know that we do have a friend who can be closer to us than any brother? And this is the Lord Jesus Christ. But you must put that two phrases together. You already have someone who wants to be your friend. But if you're going to be his friend, you must first show yourself friendly. Even to Jesus Christ. You must make yourself available to Jesus. You must hang out with Jesus. That's why, how, how do we spend time with Jesus, by the way? How do we spend time with God? Two ways, prayer and Bible reading. Prayer and Bible reading. You understand the greatest thing you can do on a daily basis is to be in the word of God for yourself. Why? He that, must, he that has friends must show himself friendly. If you want to be, have a personal friendship with Christ, you know most people don't have friends with Christ. Most people may have him as their savior. Some may know him as their God. But can you say Jesus is my friend? Meaning that he calls you his friend? Abraham was called the friend of God. Three times in scripture it was referred to that Abraham was the friend of God. Do you know why God created man in the first place? For fellowship. The reason why God created man was for fellowship. However, sin broke that fellowship. That's why Jesus died to restore that fellowship. You know what God is looking for today? He's looking for friends. Imagine how lonely God must be. Because he doesn't have friends. He doesn't have someone who wants to spend time with him. Seems like in a church, we're just begging people to spend time with God. Please read your Bible. Well, I read one chapter eventually. You're not spending time with God. You're not having that relationship. You are not showing yourself friendly. Trying to get people to pray and actually talk to God. You're not showing yourself friendly. And then the other side. Not only do you spend time with God, but can God trust you? Can God trust you to obey what he's given you to do? Can he trust you not to betray him? Can he trust you? Jesus is looking for friends. He's looking for close friends. If 
you want to see a close friendship between God and a man, read for yourself in the book of Genesis chapter 18. And there you have a conversation that Abraham and God has. In fact, God has a conversation between himself before he talks to Abraham. He said, should I tell him what I'm going to do? And then he says, I will, for I know him. That he will order his family well and gives a list. And then he tells Abraham, Abraham, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And you know what Abraham did? He said, God, what happens if you find 40 saved people? Will you still destroy them? And God says, I'll not destroy them if I find 40 saved people. Well, what happens if you miss more, miss five of them? What if there's just 35? God says, I'll not destroy them for 35. Can you imagine what a friendship Abraham had to actually go to God and say, not irreverently, but as a friend, say, God, what if you find just 10 saved people? Will you not destroy it? And God, because Abraham was his friend, went all the way down to 10 saved people, and I will not destroy them. What a great friendship that they had together. And we can have that same friendship with God. He that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Let me ask you this. First of all, for human friends, do you have a human friend that you could say that is close? You say, I don't. Well, let me tell you how you get them. Show yourself friendly. Be someone that people want to hang around you. They know you're going to be an encouragement. They know that you're going to be a blessing. They know that you're going to try to help them. They know you're going to pray for them and pray with them. They're going to be a type of person to be a help. And as you develop that close fellowship, that you'll get the help that you need as well in your life. That every friendship requires time and trust. But then on the second hand, would God consider you his friend? Now, don't take that lightly. Most people are not God's friend. You could be saved and not God's friend. But you know what God is looking for? He's looking for someone to hang out with him. To spend time with him. And all that God is looking for is for someone to say, I'll be that friend. Probably the scariest verse in all of the word of God to me would be, Ezekiel 22, 26. I'm going off memory, so it may not be the right one. But then it said, said that I'm looking for a man to stand in the hedge. Looking for a man to stand in the gap. And you know what God's conclusion was? I found none. I'm looking for someone I can trust. Someone to spend time with me. And God said, I found none. I couldn't find anyone, anyone during that time who'd be willing to spend time with me and allow me to trust. I found none. Would you be willing to be that friend of God? Would you be that one who developed that friendship with him by spending time with him and allow him to trust you? That's a decision that you have to make on your own. But he that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. 
you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three oh eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.